V family, let's jump into it. I hope you'll get as excited as you can with me as we open up in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 tonight. Amen. Come on. So tonight, as we begin this new series, I want to go ahead and give you the title as you're turning in your Bible. That's 1 Peter chapter 2. And here's where we're going to start the series off at. The title, you may see it on social media, the title is, Are You Sure You Want to Grow Up? Are you sure you want to grow up? Because as we start this series about the real world, the whole idea is we are all, we can't escape it, growing up. And I remember the day I moved out of my parents' house was a bittersweet day. I was going to miss my parents deeply. This was about eight years ago that I moved out, maybe seven. And I was going to miss my parents deeply, but I was ready to be grown and I was ready to be out of the house. Now, I don't know what your living situation is. You may live on your own. You may have an apartment. You may have roommates. You may still live at home. Praise the Lord for any of the above. But for me, when it came time to moving out of my parents' house, I was very excited to be on my own. I knew this meant nobody was texting me, asking me what time I was going to be home. I just get home at whatever time. But they didn't have as much locations eight years ago. So you can search locations as much as you can now. So you can get away with a little bit more. So I knew I could get home at whatever time I wanted to. I didn't have somebody asking me about my school. I didn't have somebody asking me about my car. It was freedom, really. And so I remember the day I moved out. I laid on my bed to go to sleep that night. This was the first night I moved out. My roommate was not there that night, so I had the first night to to myself. And I remember laying down on my bed and staring up at the ceiling as I went to sleep. And what stuck out to me was the silence that was there. Now, let me remind you, it's the first night I moved out. So I was used to hearing uh, One Direction (laughs) down the hall because my sister at the time loved One Direction. So I'd fall asleep. She'd always have One Direction on. I knew those songs by heart because I heard her listening to them in her room. I was used to hearing One Direction. There was no One Direction. I was used to hearing my parents' TV show. You know, they love watching those reality TV shows. They love watching the game shows, Wheel of Fortune and Family Feud and all these things. I would hear those from the other room. There was none of that. It was silence. Nobody was knocking on my door to ask if I had gas in my car. Nobody was knocking on my door to ask if my clothes were ironed. (laughs) Nobody was making sure I'd had dinner, (laughs) right? Nobody was asking about my grades or what tomorrow would look like. It was just silence. And in this moment, I don't know if you've moved out or not, but in this moment for me, as I lay there on my bed and stared up at the ceiling, and maybe you've had this feeling before, a great loneliness came over my body. It was almost physical, right? A chill down your spine. You just kind of have this feeling of, And I am alone. And it was this moment of everything I have wanted, I have. I've moved out. I live on my own. There's nobody checking on me, nobody knocking on my door, no music, no TV, nothing. It's just me. And in this moment for me, my journey's not yours, but let me tell you, in this moment for me, I realized the first night I moved out that all the things I had so desperately wanted to escape were the things that I had come to know and love in my life. The things, and I know that hits a nerve for some of us, the things that I had come to so desperately wanted to escape were the actual things that gave me the most comfort and security. And I'm not the only one with this story in the room. You know, when you're 16, 17, 18 years old, we all want to grow up. Even some of us, man, I didn't move out until I was 20. Some of us, like we're 20 and 21, we just want so desperately to be a grown-up because when you're a kid, you kind of idolize what I idolized, freedom. Freedom outweighs everything else, doesn't it? Freedom outweighs somebody making your food. Freedom outweighs somebody doing your laundry. Freedom outweighs somebody making sure you got gas in your car. Because at the end of the day, we all so desperately want to crave 
to lead our own life and to be our own boss and to say whatever and do whatever we want to do. Our yes and our no is up to us. Nobody else has any say in that. So that freedom kind of overrides it. Because when you really think about it, Aliana, being a kid is not that bad of a gig. <laughs> That's why my title is, Are You Sure You Want to Grow Up? All those things I listed were blessings. <laughs> you wake up and your mom's irons your shirt for you the next day. You didn't even have to ask. She knows it's Tuesday. She knows your Tuesday shirt. Food, you ain't eating Wendy's every night. You ain't eating McDonald's every night. Mom's got ham, mashed potatoes, green beans, all the things. Milk. I love milk with certain foods, by the way. Milk with spaghetti. It's amazing. You can hate on it, but my mind loves it. Nobody's checking to make sure you got that car filled up with gas. Nobody's, nobody's messing with you. However, that freedom can get really overwhelming because the one thing we crave can also lead to a whole lot of misery and headache. Because when you are responsible for making decisions, when you are not under your parents anymore and you are grown up, when you're responsible for making decisions, here's the deal. You're also responsible for the outcome of those decisions. Did you hear what I said tonight? See, we want to be responsible for the decisions we make, but we don't want to always be responsible for the consequences that come with them. With them. And when you're a kid, you have the shielding and security of your parents. When you get out of high school, and especially when you get out of college, you're kind of all on your own. Freedom trumps everything else. However, it can be very dangerous. Now, I love this quote that I want to get to give you before we get to 1 Peter. And you'll put it on the screen. It's from a book I'm studying. It says this, which I think is very good. It says, as an adult, you're in charge of your own life. That's a good thing, and it's a bad thing. You can take a picture of this. I'm going to read it to you. That's a good thing, and it's a bad thing. It's good because it really is a key part of being an adult. With freedom comes responsibility. And if you're in charge of making a decision, you're responsible for what happens as a result of that decision. Now, look at this. In a way, being responsible is what being an adult is all about. But that same freedom can be a bad thing if it becomes your ultimate thing. Some people don't want anyone telling them what to do, ever. They rebel against authority. They refuse to listen to sound advice. They avoid getting into situations and relationships where someone even could have authority over them and give them advice so that they don't have to hear it. You know anybody like that? All right, let's ask a better question. Are you ever like that? <laughs> yes. Don't, don't tell me what I don't want to hear. Just tell me what I do want to hear when I want to hear it. And then I'm great to be led at that point. Being an adult is an amazing thing, but it is not easy. In fact, your generation, Gen Z, is statistically, and I don't want to speak for you, but statistically, your generation is one of the most anxious, worried generation there has had in the last hundred years. And the thing that your generation, mine too, is so anxious about is the future. The number one thing that your generation is so afraid of is what is going to come next. It is things like managing a home, managing finances, upgrading cars, children, all these things, finding a career and a job and building a career that can sustain itself. These are things that our generation and your generation is very anxious about. So let me ask you this question. As you are in this room tonight, between the ages of 18 and 25 years old, how are you doing with this, genuinely? How are you doing with adulting? How are you doing with growing up and maturing? If you have somebody, and I want to give you some key markers here. If you have somebody who's older, that is meeting with you, discipling you, pouring into you, helping you, you're probably doing decently well. If you don't have anybody helping you, if you're kind of on an island, 
If your friends don't really give you good godly advice, you're probably struggling. And if we're honest, adulting's probably kicking your tail in a lot of ways. And then there's a lot of people who are in the middle. There's people who are like, man, this is the best season I've ever been in. I hope college doesn't ever end. I hope being a young adult doesn't ever, ever end. And then there's people who are like, take me back to high school. You're at every high school football game still, right? <laughs> you know, people can't, some, some just can't let go, right? And so what do we do with adulting? It's such a wide spectrum. What do we do? Well, in this series, I want to help you biblically. My opinion does not matter. But what the Bible says can be a great, great source of life to you at this crucial season. When you graduate high school, life hits you in the face. You have to choose a college or you have to choose where you're going to work. You have to choose a major. You're handling new friendships. You're handling finances. You're handling all these things. But when you graduate college, life can knock you down. When you graduate college and you start stepping into the full-time work world, it, it, it can be overwhelming. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. The stresses of being an adult, Nathaniel, don't compare to those of a high school student or even a college student. They just don't. Stressing over an algebra exam is nothing like stressing over how you're going to pay your bills next month. <laughs> All right? The algebra exam is going to come and go. It might decide a lot for a class. But how you pay your bills next month, when you have people depending on you, is a whole different stress than what you handle just as a high school or even a college student. And so I biblically want to help you as we navigate this together. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to begin to pick apart what Peter says. And we're going to look at the context of that time as Peter gives this great charge. We're going to jump around to some of these verses in chapter 2. I'm going to give you a few verses at the start, and then we're going to continue to read it as we go through the night. So if you will, as we talk about this crucial, crucial idea of growing up, let's look at what Peter has to say. We're going to go to God's Word. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1, and you'll see very quickly why we are here tonight. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 says this, Therefore... Rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Now, right from the gate, you've got a laundry list of sins here, sins that, that can plague us. You put that verse back up on the screen for me if you don't mind. I mean, you'll look at verse 1. Peter comes out. He says, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. These are all, notice here, these are all sins that don't just affect the individual. They are all external as well. These all affect other people. And then he says this in verse 2. Look at his transition. He says, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. Grow up. Everybody say grow up. Grow up. Woo, let's say it one more time. Let's get a little louder. Here we go. Grow up. It's clear. Grow up, but not just grow up to be an adult. Grow up into your salvation. Right? It's this idea that society does not need more adults. It needs more godly adults. Hear me, a whole bunch of adults that are worldly is not going to help the world. It's going to make it go down faster. You're filling the Titanic with more weight. <laughs> the world needs godly adults who are growing up into their salvation, meaning they know who they are, they know whose they are, they know why they're saved, and they're able to go impact somebody else's life. So Peter says to grow up into your salvation. Verse 3, he says, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. So we're going to stop here, and I'm going to give you number one. Number one, when it comes to adulting, when it comes to growing up, how you navigate this season, let's start with this. Number one, godly growing adults leave childishness behind. Not one amen. Not even a mm. 
Everybody's wondering where this point's going to go. Is it going to hit where I'm struggling with? Number one, we'll give it one more chance. Godly growing adults leave childishness behind. Amen. Amen. We got some adults in the room. Come on. We got some young adults, growing godly adults in the room who want to leave childishness behind. Now, the Bible overall is very clear about maturity. It's very clear about growing up. It's very clear that it's a hard thing to do. And if you're doing it apart from the Lord, you're not going to have much luck. But growing up is a calling and a command. That it's not something you and I get to choose to do, and we don't get to wait till 33 to grow up. We're called to grow up, and we're called to grow up now. What I want to show you, God bless you, is Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Paul says this towards the end of the letter. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. Our friend groups would be a lot better if we put childish things aside, would they not? Our our communities would be a lot better if we put childish things aside. Isn't it the childish things that divide us? Isn't it the childish things that separate us? Even, Even as we're college students and young adults, we still struggle with the same things we struggle with on the playground. Envy is nothing new. We've been envious since the playground in the fifth grade. Envy is nothing new. It just looks nastier in this context. See, when I'm envious in the fifth grade, I may go up to Tanner since he got some cool shoes on and just knock him down. Say, I like your shoes, wish they were mine, chump, take his lunch money and just walk away. At least it's direct. <laughs> At least he knows where I stand, right? I couldn't actually take his lunch money. In today's age, when you're 18 to 25, what do you do? You don't go up to them and knock them down and take the lunch money. You just talk behind their back, right? We just cut them down. We just cold shoulder them, right? It's nastier when you get older. The same stuff from the playground happens, same childish stuff. It's just different. It's just nastier. It hurts a lot more. Not only that, but Ephesians 4, when Paul is talking about unity in chapter 4 of Ephesians, one of the key things he says there is all about growing up. Look at this, if you will. Ephesians 4, 13 to 14. He says, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity, that's growing up, with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. So a godly growing adult has to leave childishness behind. I can hear some of your thoughts. I can hear some of you saying, Daniel, I'm not childish, I have grown up. I have matured. And I get that. Praise the Lord. I'm 29, and I know I've got some growing up to do. And I've, I've met people twice my age who still have growing up to do. See, growing up is not about a number. In fact, growing up is not about anything to do with your physical appearance either. Growing up is your posture with God. Okay? There are a lot of childish adults in our world. Childish 50-year-olds, childish 60-year-olds. If you don't believe me, get on Facebook. They're all there, and they share every thought they have. (laughs) They're all on Facebook or Twitter. You don't even call it Twitter no more. It's X. Just long posts. There's childishness still around. It's not about an age. But for you and me, we're called to leave childishness behind if we're really going to grow up. (laughs) Everybody say grow up. Grow up. Nobody wants to be told to grow up. Anybody ever told you to grow up? Man, that's not a nice compliment. Anybody say that to you? That's fighting words. You tell me to grow up, I'm like, I'm going to show you I'm grown, right? <laughs> like, it's fighting words. I've had people, I've had coaches, especially in my life, tell the team, man, it's time to grow up. And it's a biblical concept. Now, 
What I don't like when I listen to speakers talk to your generation. I listen to YouTube videos of different preachers. I love Robbie Gallaty in Nashville. I listen to a lot of his sermons when I can. And he does a great job. What I don't like about people who speak on these topics to your generation and mine is I don't like when people give these big concepts and they don't get practical with it. It's great for me to tell you, hey, grow up and leave childishness behind. But when you leave those doors, that doesn't do much good for you tonight. What does do good is for you and me to kind of break this down a little bit. What does that actually mean to leave childishness behind? Well, let's talk about it. Here's the the thing. When you think about a child, you have to think about what the difference is between a child and a mature adult. I mean, really break it down. Children lack a few things. It's not that children are bad. Children are amazing. Children are precious, sweet, lovable. You want to hug them. But children lack some things that mature adults should have. Okay? Now, I want to give you two things here. I could give you ten, but I want to give you two things that children lack that mature adults should have so that you and me can start to see keenly what we mean by leaving childishness behind. Let me tell you the first thing children lack. Okay? Children lack, here it is, if you want to write it down, discipline. The first thing is discipline. Children lack discipline. Think about when you were a kid. Your mom and dad, your babysitter had to tell you ten times to do right. Ten times to do the right thing. Bless you. Children lack discipline. Yet when you look at scripture, discipline is one of the key marks of a growing godly adult. I'll give you 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. Some of you are familiar with this verse. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. That's self-discipline. That's being able to rationally make decisions, and that's what children lack. My boss here at the church said it to us the other day. He gave us a task, and he said this. It stuck with me because I knew I was preaching on this. And this is my work world. He said, he's about 15 or so years older than me, and this is what he said. He said, you're all adults. I'm not following up with you on this. Get it handled. I mean, Dakota walk out of the meeting like, yes, sir. Like, we're not going to be followed up with because we're grown, and that's how the real world is. When you're in college, sometimes you got people following up with you, making sure you get it done. When you get the real world, man, people are not hanging on, making sure you do what you have to do. You have to have the discipline to be able to do what you know is expected of you. And so I want to ask you, man, do, do you have to be told, and I'm asking myself this question too, do we have to be told to do the right thing or do we just do the right thing because we have the Spirit of God living in us and guiding us? I mean, really, a lot of you work jobs. Those jobs that you work at, whether you work at a church or Chipotle or whether you work at Target or whether you work at a school, whatever you work at, do you cut corners when nobody's looking I'm serious. I'm not trying to call you. I'm in the same boat. But, like, do you only do right when people are watching? Do you do half the task? <laughs> you know? Do you do half the, the chore? Does somebody do you? Man, listen, I might talk to you like you're a little for a minute. Listen, if you're doing college right now, are your parents still following up with you on your school? Do they have to follow up with you still? Look, I know some of you ain't going to be happy with me. That's fine. But, like, do you have the sound judgment and the sound decision making to be able to handle your classes as a grown adult, or does somebody have to be on top of you making sure you do it? They're not going to do that when you get a full-time job. They're just going to fire you. <laughs> They're going to say, hey, thanks, see you, bud. You know, get on out of here. <laughs> We're going to get somebody who can do sound judgment, who can follow through on a task. I mean, this is stuff you don't hear from the pulpit a lot, but understand this, guys. Children lack discipline. 
They must be told over and over what they're supposed to do. When you are a maturing adult, you don't nail it every single time. Hannah has to remind me of stuff. My mom still calls me and reminds me of stuff. Dakota's got to remind me of stuff. But as an adult, there's a responsibility that you and I are over, and we're supposed to do that without having to be told. We shouldn't have to have it beat over our head to do it. Here's one of the main things you've got to have discipline in if you're going to be a growing godly adult. Spending time with God. <laughs> and it sounds simple, but it's crazy because when you're living in the house, when you're still with your parents, they can make sure that you're reading the word. They can make sure you're checking the box. They can drop you off for life groups. They can drop you off for church. But when you become a grown adult, if you don't want to go to church, you ain't going to church. And that's why we have so many 30-year-olds returning to the church now who left 10 years ago because they have kids now and they don't know what else to do. They say, my kids need to be in church, so I'm coming back. Because people your age, they get a little bit of freedom, and they're like, I'm not going to church. I don't need to exercise sound discipline. I am free, so I'm sleeping in on Sundays, and I'm doing my thing. Students, is discipline a mark that you would say you're growing in? Or is discipline a mark where you would say, hey, I'm really struggling with discipline? If somebody's not telling me to do the right thing, I don't do the right thing. Let me tell you another one. Because discipline is huge for you and for me. Temptation. When you get grown and, and sin is all around you and temptation is running rampant and you've got a temptation to every single corner you turn, do you have in you the connection to the Holy Spirit and the knowledge of the word to be able to identify temptation? And then do you have the self-discipline through the power of the spirit to trust in God and say, I'm not going there? Because one thing that will ruin your life and will ruin my life is somebody who can't say no to temptation. We just keep indulging and indulging, and that's a lack of discipline. Listen, I, I told you I've got a few quotes for you tonight. And one of them on temptation, I thought this is really good. It's long. You can take a picture of it, but I will read it to you. This quote says this. It's too good to not put on the screen. It says, for some people, the consequence of seeking freedom from authority is that you lose the very freedom you crave. You don't have to be literally locked up for your freedom to turn into a prison. There are a lot of people who wanted to grow up and have freedom so that they could pursue alcohol, drugs, pornography, or some other vice. But by consuming more and more of it, and never had the discipline to say no, they eventually lost the freedom to say no to it. That's what an addiction is. It's a loss of freedom. They can't stop pursuing the very thing they wanted the freedom to pursue. And this is where our night gets really heavy. Because for some of you, the sermon on money, maybe... Sermon on your first full-time job, you're like, Daniel, I'm trying to get through tomorrow. But the sermon on temptation and the stronghold sin will have on you, whether it be alcohol or drugs or pornography or whether it be gossip or, or being rude to people or going through the motions with a religion, is strong. And as a grown adult, you and I have got to make choices. Those choices have consequences, and we must make choices that draw us closer to God. 
Are you at a place right now where you would say, I am growing in my discipline of saying no to temptation? Or are you in a place where you would say, I am struggling? If you're struggling, here's my question. What are you going to do about it? Lovingly, lovingly. I'm not telling you do better. Do better didn't get a whole generation elsewhere. They just became workaholics. No. What are you going to do about it to find someone to love and help you as you walk through that? Children lack discipline. When I was a kid, we did celebrate Halloween. We would trick-or-treat. Me and my sister's candy bag would be deep. We would hit every house in the neighborhood. Even if the lights weren't on, we'd still knock on the door. And sometimes my mom was like, throw that away. We're not putting that in the candy bag. <laughs> my favorite candy was Reese's. My sister's was Sour Patch Kids. You always got an even deal in those. So me and my sister would throw out all the candy on the floor when we got home, and we'd trade the Reese's for the Sour Patch Kids as an even trade for me. When I was about 9, 10 years old, I'd sit there all night long from 10 p.m. to midnight, and I would just eat every single Reese's that I had in my stash. I was like, Mom, I got it tonight, so it's four tonight, right? <laughs> like, this is how we celebrate, okay? We just eat candy. And as a kid at 9 years old, my mom is hitting my wrist saying, Daniel, you can't just sit here and eat all this candy. Because as a kid, I need some sort of authority to tell me where I need to draw the line. And that's the whole purpose of being a kid is that you have somebody, hopefully godly, who's telling you, hey, here's where you draw the line. It's not that I'm against candy, but it's that too much is going to hurt you and cause serious problems. And my mom had the age, the experience, and the wisdom to know better than I did so I could listen. But if at 29 years old, if at 29 years old, I still have to be told by my mom to stop eating 20 Reese's in one night, somewhere along the line, I've missed it. I haven't developed the self-discipline to say no and to take authority into my own hands for my own life and leave myself in college students. That's what I want to ask you. Or would you say you're at a place where you're not perfect, but you are growing in the ability to be the authority that says to your flesh, hey, I need to stop. Hey, this is where we draw the line. We draw the line here with temptation. We draw the line here with laziness. We draw the line here with procrastinating on schoolwork. I'm going to lead myself. Is that where you are? Not only discipline, but I want to give you this. B, respect. Come on. Smooth. Children often lack discipline and respect. Doesn't mean they always don't have discipline. Doesn't mean they always don't have respect. Some of you are like, I was a very respectful kid. And I'm like, praise God, I was not. But children have to be taught respect. You learn on the playground to respect people who have a different skin color than you. At least I hope you do. If not... That's why we have adults who still look down on people based on the color of their skin. You learn that the color of somebody's skin does not dictate value for them, and that's why racism is wrong. You hopefully learn that at a very early age to respect all people. Hopefully you and I learn at an early age we're called to love one another, and there's no attachments to it. It's just do it. <laughs> love one another, regardless of where they're from, regardless of what job they work. Respect. Children have to learn this. And so as you look at an adult, is respect something that you have? Here's what I would say to a room full of people who are hopefully striving to be closer to God. If you gossip about people, you don't respect them the way God did when he made them in his image. It's just that simple. If you exclude people because it makes you feel better about yourself, you don't respect people the way God did when he made them in his image. And me the same way. If I do that, if I leave people out, if I exclude people, if I look down on somebody for something, I'm not respecting them and I'm not loving them as Christ does. 
So two things to think about. When you talk about leaving childishness behind, children lack discipline and they often lack respect. Let that not be said of growing godly adults, that we would be people who have discipline and respect those around us. But not only that, we're going to tap more into this throughout the series. Let's go to number two. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 9 here. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says this. Peter, speaking of his people, says, You are a chosen race, speaking to those who are Christians, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then he says this, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. Let me give you number two. Number two, godly growing adults are responsible. R-E-S-P-O-N-S-I-B-L-E. It doesn't flow as well as respect does, but you get the idea. Yes, I did take the time to put the dashes between each letter, and I messed up three times. <laughs> I had to go back and delete it and retype it, and I was like, is this worth it? And I was like, yes, it'll be worth it. Responsible. I don't know if it actually was worth it or not. As an adult, you are responsible first and foremost for your relationship with Christ. But may we take a moment and think about how marvelous it is to have a calling such as verse 9. May we take a moment and realize that we're not just hoping to be godly adults so that we can make a lot of money, have a big career, be loved by a lot of people, but may we be growing adults who want to live out what we are called to in verse 9. And I hope you think about this for a minute, how marvelous this is, that he says, look again, you are a chosen race, speaking of God's people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you can reap all the benefits and keep them from the world. Does this say that, college students? I don't know what your Bible says. My translation does not. Mine says, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let me paint a picture for you real quick. We often take the commands or the calls from God as exhortations. When Jesus says, love one another, we often think of that as love the people I'm friends with. When scripture calls us to be holy, we often think of sins we don't struggle with that much, right? Like, well, I don't partake in so-and-so, so I'm striving after holiness. But the commands of God are not just exhortations. They're not just, hey, if you get around to this, do it. They are quite literally commands of God. One of them being what Peter says here about proclaiming the praises of God to the world. Understand this very clearly, college students, that for the rest of your life, you're going to probably work a full-time job. Maybe at some points you won't, but most times you will work a job, which means you will have tasks delegated to you. Understand this. Hear me on this. This is so important because we're going to talk about work next week. You're going to spend your life joyfully, amazingly, 
completing tasks. Maybe you're self-employed and you'll dictate those tasks. If you own a restaurant, you'll know what you have to get done that week. It's not a dread. It's not a, a chain thing. It's just you will spend your life getting done what needs to get done, moving forward in your job, moving forward in your neighborhood, in your community, and that's an amazing thing. We just talked about discipline, following through on those tasks. Well, understand this. Every single one of you are first and foremost for the rest of your life, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. If you're a Christian, you are commissioned by God before any other employer. Which means he has tasks for you to do. That's called good works. But understand this, though, because I'm going to relate this. Sharing the gospel is not God saying, it's great if you get around to it. Hear me. Sharing the gospel is not a suggestion from God. Every, I'm going to make a bold statement. Every single one of us in this room, every day that we wake up, I mean, it's bold. Every day that we wake up, you and I have a specific, hear me, direct task from God. We have the commands of God. We know we're supposed to love him. We're supposed to worship him. We're supposed to spend time in his presence. That's great. That's our internal, internal relationship with him. But I'm talking about a real task to do. Like when Dakota shows up for work, he's got stuff to get done. When I show up, I've got stuff to get done. Listen, every day you wake up, you for sure have this task at the very least. You have somebody that God has tasked to you to share Jesus with. Every day. Every day. I do not believe there is a day we wake up that God does not have it in his plan for us to tell somebody about Jesus every day. Because that's the one thing we can't do in heaven is tell lost non-believers about Jesus. Every day you wake up. Now, you might not be the only one. When I was lost, there were 10 people tasked to share the gospel with me. It took an army. But every day you wake up, you have a coworker, you have a family member, you have a neighbor. It may be yourself. <laughs> you have somebody to tell the gospel to. That is a command. That is a call. That is a task that has been delegated to you every day to go and tell somebody about Jesus. Let me ask you something. If you're really wanting to be a grown, responsible adult and enter the work world and be responsible for what's been given to you, are you responsible with the biggest external task God can give, which is to proclaim his glories? to tell people about Jesus, and to share your testimony of what he's done. Are you faithful with that task? And am I? Because we want God to give us a Hail Mary and tell us his will for our career, but we won't accept the task of, I have somebody I see every week in Starbucks, and God knows he has placed it on my heart to share Jesus with them, and I just am afraid to open my mouth and tell them. Colossians, are you responsible with that? Because a lot of times where we live in the South, let's be real, it's real world one-on-one. In the South, we wait until we go on a mission trip to tell somebody about Jesus. And we do that because we raise funds to go on that trip. Yet every single day, you have the task of telling somebody about Jesus. If you go through a day and you don't find anybody to tell Jesus, look in the mirror and tell the gospel to them. Because they probably need to hear it anyway. So hear me, I say this because when I sit down with college students one-on-one and they tell me, man, I'm really wanting God to tell me what I'm supposed to do in my life. The next thing I ask is usually, when's the last time you told somebody about the gospel? 
Because that's task number one for today. Once you've spent time with him, once you have worshiped him, once you have been at the feet of Jesus, you're supposed to get up and go tell somebody about Jesus. Not, not tomorrow, immediately, today. And right now, I pray that the Lord would lay somebody on your heart. I pray that you and I would be close enough to the Lord to hear and to know who it is that he would lay on our hearts every day to share the gospel with. Because if you are faithful to telling people about Jesus, if you're spending time with the Lord, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, and then you go out there and tell people about Jesus, you might not have the best resume in the world, you might not have been on the most trips in the world, you might not be the best public speaker in the world, but I'll tell you this, if you're sharing Jesus with people, you are in God's will and you are moving in the right direction. Not just that, let me switch gears to marriage. And I've, for seven years, done college ministry, and I've seen college students desperate to get married. And I heard this story. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I heard the story that this pastor shared. He had somebody he went to get coffee with, and the guy told him, I wrote it down because I didn't want to mess it up. The guy told him, he was with this pastor, and he told him, he had said that he met with a church member who was 24 years old, and he felt like it was too late for him to get married at 24 Ring by spring, you missed that, you missed your chance. 24, and he had been praying, listen, I mean, don't miss this. He had been praying for God to give him someone to marry and to love. And he asked the pastor, he said, I've been praying this prayer for God to give me somebody to love and to marry. And he told the pastor, he said, one day he was praying about this, and he opened his Bible after he prayed about it to read, and the passage that day was, love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus' command. And in this moment, he tells the pastor, he said, as I read that text, God spoke to my heart louder than a voice could. And this is what the Lord laid on his heart. The Lord laid this on his heart. He said, God told him, you're asking for me to give you a spouse to love when you haven't loved the neighbor I've given you for the last two years. When I was in college... I read a verse that shook me and sent chills down my spine. It comes at the end of a parable. It's Jesus' words, and it will make you self-reflect. And Jesus says this in Luke 16, verse 10. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. I can't tell you what life looks like for you after college, but I can tell you tomorrow morning when you wake up what your purpose is. I can tell you that tonight. You can take it to the bank. When you wake up tomorrow morning, your purpose is to glorify God. It means to worship, spend time with him, praise him, sing his praises. And then it's to extend his kingdom, which means verbally opening your mouth, telling people about Jesus, and then physically showing them what the love of Christ looks like. Like I read this quote. I don't believe I put it on the screen, but I'll give it to you. We often want God to answer yes to our prayers, but we won't answer yes to his commands. If I can tell you what being a responsible adult really looks like, that I'm trying to learn myself because it's hard every day. We want God to say yes to our prayers, but we won't say yes to his commands. Being responsible means 
saying yes to God, no matter the cost, no matter the time, and no matter the place. I want to give you my last point. I'm going to move through it very quickly. Some of it we're going to talk about next week, but I do got to make sure that you walk home with this. Look with me at verse 13. Here's where Peter gets very specific. This is very specific. He says this, submit to every human authority. Boy, we hate that word submit, don't we? That is an unpopular word in, amongst Christians. But Peter says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. That's a tough verse. Verse 15, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Verse 16, submit as free people, not using your freedom as they cover up for evil, but as God's slaves. That's so good. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God. And then he makes this statement, honor the emperor. <laughs> we're going to talk about the culture of what he's saying at that time. Now, verse 18, and this is very controversial. We're going to have to talk about context here. He talks about slavery. He says, household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. How can you say that? Verse 19, for it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. How do we know that? Because our Messiah, unjustly, he was innocent, suffered your punishment and mine at the cross, and it brought the greatest glory to God that could happen. That's how Peter can say that theologically, that when we suffer for doing right in the Lord's eyes, it brings glory to God because we look at our Savior, Jesus, suffered. Now look at this. That's not the end of it. We're going to have to unpack this. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So number three, godly growing adults have freedom under authority. Godly growing adults have freedom under authority. Now we began this sermon. I'm going to give you a minute to write this down. We began this sermon talking about the great freedom that adults have to make decisions, to stay up late, to stock the fridge with whatever we want. We talked about the great freedom. However, freedom is not a free-for-all. There are authorities that we must be under, and I'm so glad we get to talk about this from the view stage because you often don't hear about it. Peter mentions three, Sean, three authorities we're supposed to be under. I'm going to unpack two of them. Next week, we're going to talk about the third. He mentions two authorities that you and I, if we're going to be grown adults, must submit to, that we must be under. Here's the first one. Let's talk about this. It's not popular at all. I'll give you a warning. The first one is under the authority of the government. <laughs> Woo! This is unpopular. In fact, some of you don't believe me how unpopular this is. I'll give you a statistic. Did you know that a recent poll found that only 20% of Americans trust the federal government most or all of the time? This is the government that you're going to be living under if you're in America. That means statistically that four-fifths of Americans don't trust the government. They don't trust the government. And yet we're supposed to follow the authority of this government over us. Now that's hard. We're supposed to submit. That means we obey the laws unless they require us to sin against God. There are a lot of laws in America that can allow you to sin. There's not many laws that require you to sin. There's a great difference there. We're called to obey the law. We're called to be citizens who are under the authority of the government. And men, in this room, you have a whole lot of parents and families that you come from that have a lot to say about politics and 
the government. And you say, Daniel, how do you know that? Because I'm on Facebook too, right? <laughs> and I see it. But I need you to understand, this quote is very good. It's the last quote I'm going to give you for tonight. This response, somebody asked on this podcast, they say, how do I submit to the authority of a government that is wicked and lost? A government we can't trust, like what most Americans say here. This quote is really good. Take a picture of this, take this home to the bank. He said, here's a question. What if our government leaders are wicked or corrupt? All of us may ask this question. Here's a quote. Well, first and foremost, work to change that. You have a vote, use it. Get involved. Campaign for better laws. He said, we, we need godly young adults running for office and being godly leaders. And all of us, every single one of us, whether we live in Washington or not, should pray for our elected officials, asking that they would govern wisely and uphold the freedoms we're supposed to have. In other words, you are the future. If you are so untrustworthy of the government, what are you and I doing biblically to make a difference in this nation? Or are we just running from it? We're saying, I don't trust the government. I don't like America, so I'm going to get out of here. Yet as believers, we're called to stand firm in our faith, not compromise our convictions, but live as American citizens who pray for our elected leaders. Now, that strikes a nerve with young adults. That is not popular amongst young adults. There are people who are like, I'm not submitting to the authority. I'm not submitting to the law. I'm doing whatever I want to do. It's not biblical. That's not biblical. And in fact, to not pray for our elected leaders, that's not biblical. And that's hard because some of us have a lot of skin in the game, but we're supposed to pray. And really pray. Peter, when he says this, his emperor was Nero. And at the time of this, Nero was a bad dude. He would not have had good approval ratings at all. He had his mom killed because she didn't like him. He had his, what is it? He had his mom killed. This is Peter's emperor. This is who he was following at the time when Peter wrote this. He had his mother killed, killed his first wife, had his stepbrother poisoned. There's a whole lot worse that he did that I won't say from the pulpit. But he had a bad habit of, at this time when Peter wrote this, burning Christians alive. This is not a pro-America sermon, but listen, we, we are not seeing Christians burned alive in the streets of America. <laughs> we face some opposition, some persecution. We're not seeing that. And Peter in his day would see Christians burned alive. And he wrote this and said, submit to the authority unless it requires you to sin. Submit to the authority and pray for your leaders. You imagine Peter praying for somebody like that? This is the same God that had Peter crucified upside down. That's why it strikes a nerve with college students and young adults. We say, how are we supposed to do that? We do that because we follow a higher law. We, fire a, we follow a higher God, the God of the heavens and the earth. And we trust even in our greatest persecution, God is the one who gets the glory. I want to be a Christian that lives that way. I'm not yet, but I'm trying to get there. Do you? Had him crucified upside down. And Peter writes this letter and he says, Submit. Submit. Let me give you the second one be under the authority of their employer. Next week, the sermon is on work. It's on the full-time working world. As I read that text about slavery, we know in American history, slavery is not good in any way, shape, or form. What I'm going to show you next week is slavery was very different in Jesus' day. Very different in Peter's day. I'm going to skip over this one. Next week, I will dissect those verses that I read about B. I would love for you to be back as we talk about welcome to the working world. So let me give you C. Lastly for tonight, under the authority 
of the Lord and of the church. So there's three things Peter highlights that growing adults have to be under. The authority of the government, the authority of their employer, which is next week, and then ultimately under the authority of the Lord and the church. I lied to you. I do have one more quote. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious? Here's my last quote. I think I put this one on the screen. Young adults don't have a lot of respect for the authority of the church. Look at this. Today, there is the rise of I'm spiritual, but not religious. A popular survey answer that sounds kind of godly in a relationship, not religion kind of way but is generally code for, I don't go to church. 50% of young adults claim to be spiritual but not religious, which means they have no ties to any religious authority. Some will say, I am only under the authority of God. I love this quote right here. If you want, to be, if you want God to be your sole authority, please consider this. God, in his authority, has clearly said that you should submit yourself to the authority of church leadership. However, many young adults church hop to a handful of churches each month and the reason this is so popular amongst 18 to 28 years old is because it allows them to not be too well known at any of these churches to avoid any real kind of spiritual accountability. This is a staggering number amongst Christians. Hear me, this is not a small issue. This is a very large issue. We have a generation of people your age who have no real respect or accountability in the church. They're just on their own. And I want to show you Hebrews 13, verse 7. It says this. It says, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. And then Hebrews 13, verse 17, 10 verses later, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do with this joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. If I could end our night anywhere with growing up, I want to tell you this. I've done seven years, almost eight of college ministry. I have heard many, many, many people, I mean many, all different walks of life, public school, private school, homeschool, all different kind of students tell me what they believe in. Seven years of just conversation with people your age. I have had so many people tell me that they're spiritual but they're not religious. I've had so many people tell me that and they say this statement. Maybe you've said it. I said it when I was 20 years old. They said, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I've heard it. But I want to tell you, in almost eight years of college ministry, I have never seen a college or young adult student grow in Christ apart from being a part of the church. I've never seen one grow and mature in Christ alone, on their own, on an island. Every student in the last eight years that I've seen own their faith, grow up to be a responsible adult, the same thing applied across the board. They were convicted, and that conviction led them to not just be a consumer in the church, but be an active member in the church where they belong, where they have a role and where they have a place. The greatest indicator of how strong your faith will be in 10 years, 10 years might very well depend on the people that you are surrounded by today. May it be godly people. 
I've got a challenge for you. Every week I'm going to have a challenge for you. Here's Real World 101 Challenge of the Week. I hope that you'll do this. The challenge of the week is this. Sit down with a godly church member who is at least 15 years older than you and ask them what biblical advice they would give on growing up. And we're going to have some testimonies next week. My Real World 101 Challenge of the Week. Sit down with a godly church member who's at least 15 years older and ask them for biblical advice on growing up.